Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today I'm delighted to be joined once again by Tim Chester, who has a new book to share with us today. I'd like to say a book that he's written, but really it's a book that he's compiled as he's put together a list of of prayers from the Puritans. is called Into His Presence, and I have to say, I have to agree with uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. This is a, a treasure trove of prayers. It's a great privilege to have him with us today. Uh, Tim, thank you for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message. Uh, it's a pleasure. Yes, looking forward to it. Why don't you get started by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and your connection to these prayers, the prayers from the Puritans. Oh, yes. So uh, I was brought up in a Christian home, became a Christian at a young age. Um, at the moment, I've been in uh, a pastor for about 25 years, uh, although I'm, I'm not currently doing that. About a year ago, my wife and I moved to... Um, uh, uh, to be able to look after my parents who are in the, in their old age, just to be able to be on hand to care for them. So I left the church that I was pastoring and uh, we've joined a church plant, but I'm not uh, part of the leadership there. So my main role, uh, apart from a bit of writing, is uh, with Crossland's training. And I'm a faculty member there. And um, uh, that's just training people in, in their context for gospel ministry. So you certainly are plugged into a pastoral role and ministry training, as as well as your writing. You've written over forty books. So, uh, what is it about the Puritans that captured your attention? Uh, I I sort of grew up with the Puritans. There'd be a little bit of that. I think they were just part of the sort of bloodstream of the kind of circles that I grew up in. Probably actually, when I was sort of uh, sort of early twenties, I thought, why why are we reading all these dead guys? You know, why why don't we? Uh, uh, what about some of the living stuff that's going on? The new, you know, the, uh, but I think over the years, more and more, I've come to appreciate not just the Puritans, but all of church history. Although I do think the Puritans have some very, something very special to offer. But just that wisdom of the ages, that connection to the past, the way the Holy Spirit has spoken to generation after generation of people. And um, as I say, I think uh, I think that you can you can draw on that there is to use Sinclair Ferguson's phrase. There's a treasure trove sort of throughout the history of the church. But the Puritans, I think, particularly had something that was really quite special, uh, a really deep pastoral theology that I think offers a lot for us today. Yeah, unlike you, I did not grow up with the Puritans as a part of my uh, upbringing, even though I grew up in the church. It, you know, reading other people's prayers and sort of liturgy were not a part of the church tradition I grew up in. And yet, as I moved out to New England, I found that there's this rich history. And obviously, New England and the United Kingdom, old England, right? Uh, there's a rich history with the Puritans that is kind of embedded into the very fiber of our churches. Yes, I think so. And, and one of the things about the Puritans is that they kind of fill the gap between the Reformation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you think of Martin Luther and that great sort of re recovery or rediscovery of the um, biblical gospel of justification by faith and the authority of Scripture and, and John Calvin, that generation that was so transformative of the church uh, in Europe and then subsequently the world. Uh, and then you think of the evangelical awakening in the 18th century uh, with people like John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, very formative for kind of who we are today. Uh, and the Puritans are the fill the gap. They're, they're the people in the middle. 
that in that sort of chain of continuity as one generation taught another generation and that generation had to kind of deal with the issues of its day but drew upon all the resources and learning of the past well the puritans are, are, are kind of bridge that gap between the, Re the reformers the reformation and evangelicalism that the, the evangelical movement that really we're still part of and so they're very much part of our history and our tradition as well as being this wonderful resource that we can draw on that they kind of are who we are. Mm. Now, talk to us a little bit about these prayers. Obviously, this is a collection of prayers written by the Puritans, but before we get into those specifically, why why record people's prayers? It seems uh, such a, a strange thing, from at least from the upbringing that I came from, and many of the people that came from a similar background probably find it a little bit strange as well. Yes, I suppose there are two ways of looking at this. I mean, I'm I'm all for um, extempore prayer, the prayer that you kind of make up as you go along, as it were, just part of that natural relationship and conversation with with God that we're able to have now through the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's that's the mainstay of 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 the life of our church and so on. Uh, but I do think there is something really beneficial in reading and indeed using prayers from the past. One one of that is. Prayers are a kind of record of a person's relationship with God. And so we are learning from and um, digging into how different generations, different people have engaged with God. So we have theology, and that's, that's really important, and we can read the theology of the past uh, and uh, use that to shape and inform our understanding today. But Things like written prayers offer us a kind of window onto the spirituality of the past, how they actually lived their relationship with God. In a sense, theology is the theory, uh, uh, foundational as that is. Uh, prayers are the kind of lived experience of that. This is what their theology looked like when they went and stood before their God. Mm. And I think so prayers are, in a sense, obviously, they embody the theology of the Puritans in this case. Uh, but but it's a little bit more than that. It's it's not just their theology of God. It's their experience of God that we're encountering in prayers. Now I, I have to admit I love to listen to people pray. I feel like there's there's kind of you're having this window into their conversation with God. It's almost like you're able to really get to know them really well. You know I, I say this with pastors all the time. Uh, listen to your congregants pray, like spend some time with them, let them pray. It's an insight into their walk with Christ or walk with God. It really is a beautiful picture. But with that being said, I've I found it difficult to read people's prayers throughout the years. I'm getting to that place now, and in your book is definitely a great resource. But reading people's prayers is, is really a little bit of a challenge, and I'm sure some of our listeners feel the same way. What's the value of, of reading these prayers and not having it in this sort of intimate moment where you're there sharing with them in their prayer? Well, think of it like this. One of the things we sometimes say is you can tell the kind of denominational or background or the sort of church tradition that someone comes from when mm -hmm. they pray. And that's because the normal way most of us learn to pray is actually by imitating the people around us. We we tend to pray like the way in the same using the same phrases and language and emphases and styles of the the way the people around us pray. The way someone in a kind of reformed church prays is you kind of know what you're going to expect, and then someone in a Pentecostal church will pray quite differently from that because that's what they're used to doing. Well, when we pray from the Puritans, what we're saying is. That's great. That 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 kind of imitation, that copying, that's all part actually of the way Christian discipleship works. But of course, with that, we're then limited to 
the kind of people around us, whoever they may be. What we do when we read prayers from the past is allow, is in a sense, allow that same process to happen. But now we're drawing on this wider, deeper, perhaps, uh, resource of prayer. Mm. There is something else I want to say. A couple of years ago, I had something of an emotional breakdown. I had a very difficult period in my life. And, um, and whenever I sat down to pray, my head was all over the place. I just couldn't turn off the kind of internal conversations that were going on in my brain. And I found it abs an absolute lifeline, actually, to be able to pray other people's prayer, to use a bit of liturgy, to use some prayers from the, from the past. So that, in a sense, I was forced to articulate my prayers to God using the words of other people. But it just, in a sense, it just anchored my thoughts at a time when my thoughts were all over the place. Mm. I think in the general consensus where the kind of background you talk about backgrounds that we came up in and, and we didn't have written prayers as part of our practice. And yet, if anyone came from the same background that I came from, if you were watching uh, the Queen's funeral and you saw these yeah. <laughs> recorded prayers, it really didn't, it took away the sort of stodginess of it and it really brought some elements of, of beauty and prestige to written prayers. Yes, maybe a way of thinking about it. There's, there's a joke that uh, I once heard where uh, the, uh, somebody thought they would uh, they would prepare the first half of their sermon and then they would just rely on the Holy Spirit for the second half. And then they meet an old lady at the door and she says, oh, you know, that was an interesting sermon. The two halves, two I think like in two halves. And the, the, the preacher explained, you know, how he carefully prepared the first half and then he'd allow the spirit to move through him in the second half. And the old lady says, well, that's a, that's a funny thing because it turns out you're a better preacher than the Holy Spirit, you know. <laughs> but, but, which, what, what she was sort of saying is, well, I mean, she was just reflecting on the sermon. But because the point is the Holy Spirit works actually through the preparation as well as in the moment when the preaching happens. And uh, I think there's a little bit of that with our praying that, um, of course, we can speak to God whenever we like. And in fact, you know, there's no, we, our prayers do not have to be eloquent. They can be faltering and muddled and all messed up because that that's not their criteria. The criteria by which they're valued is, it's the blood of Christ. We come in the name of Christ. And that's what makes our prayers great prayers and prayers that the Father loves to hear. So, of course, they can be a mess and all over the place. But actually, the preparing of a prayer or the using of a prayer from, from another century does not mean the spirit somehow is switched off and we switch some other switch on. Actually, the spirit is working through through the history of the church, through our own experience, through us sitting down and writing it. And I think it does, particularly for those kind of occasions, it does it does allow us to articulate truth clearly and beautifully and in a way that's compelling to those who are praying along with us. Let's talk, let's delve into your book and talk specifically about some of these prayers that you've put together um, with the Puritans. You've given some catalogs or some categories to them that are, I think, really, really helpful because uh, you can find yourself going to these uh, different prayers for different reasons, for different needs. Explain to us a little bit how you structured the book. Yes, I think that was important. I, 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 there's part of me that wants this book to be a kind of introduction to people, to, to the Puritan spirituality. The Puritans were this movement in the uh, 17th century and a long time ago. And uh, I just think there's so much we can learn from them. And I think this is a great way uh, of kind of digging in. But I didn't want it to simply be a kind of historical curiosity, as an historical textbook. I wanted it to be much more than that. First and foremost, I wanted to put together some of these great resources 
to help people pray as a kind of resource for them, as a way to enrich their spirituality. And so with that in mind, I, uh, they're all in, I think there's, they're all in groups of five and each group of five has a different heading and it's, it's according to how you might use it. So some of them are about praising uh, the uh, God. The, I think the first one is on praising the love of the father. Uh, and then there's a whole category of when you're anxious or when you're in need. And then there's uh, events like uh, the, uh, for the preparing for the preaching of God's word or for prayers to use at communion. And then there's some sort of everyday prayers for work and family and marriage and so on. And so the idea is, I, I think you could just, there. I think there are 80 altogether. You could pray one a day and just to see where that took you. And I hope that would be enriching. But also I want it to be there. So in a moment when you're feeling anxious, you can kind of pull it off the shelf, turn to that uh, chapter and read some of those prayers and let those words help you in that time of crisis. It actually uh, really helped me just seeing just the contents page here and how how to, to relate to uh, somebody else's prayers, realizing that a lot of these topics that you're discussing are pretty much the very topics of the Psalms, and those are prayers as well. Oh, yes, so okay, we already yes. have written prayers in our sort of uh, part of our life in Scripture, so this shouldn't be abnormal in that regard. Although I would say that there's one thing you're missing in this context is imprecatory prayers. Um, maybe you can come <laughs> up with those in, in your, your next uh, book on the prayers of the Puritans. But um, it actually is a really great resource, and the way it ties in so beautifully with the Psalms as a resource with all different emotions, all different feelings. It's not simply that prayers are simply before the food or before we preach, right? These are prayers that delve into every emotion of life. Yes, or, or they're not just for moments of crisis, so we only turn to God in a crisis. There are, there are moments where there are also prayers of thanksgiving. So there's, it's, it's for all the different situations that we face in life, but also all the ups and downs that life brings to us as well. Uh, I do think that that prayer is for all those occasions, and actually the Puritans help us uh, in all those occasions. Well, if you do find an imprecatory prayer from the Puritans, you'll... <laughs> definitely have to add it to your second edition of some sort. Uh, but uh, I think the connection there is helping people see into the window and the soul of the Puritans that they were dealing with things, because I think there's a bit of a common consensus amongst Americans that they were a bit stodgy and not emotional and not deep in their uh, their feelings. That's obviously not true. No, they were serious uh, about their faith and about living out their faith, but they were not stodgy at all. In fact, quite the opposite. I mean, it's the Puritans who give us that great definition in the uh, Shorter Westminster Catechism. Uh, what is the chief end of man? It is to um, glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's that's a Puritan catechism there. Uh, it's almost kind of the key statement of, of Puritan theology. And right at the top is, what are we for? We are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. These were people who were serious about joy. Uh, and um, so there's a lot in their um, sort of, they, they don't seem to have been, over the centuries been very good, very good at PR. They, uh, they've got a bad <laughs> press. That's, that's for sure. I, um, I do cryptic crosswords and I started collecting definitions of where, where the answer is Puritan. The definition is always negative. And so I started doing a little collection of these. Um, uh, and, and the word puritanical just, it doesn't sound good, does it? And, and that's a shame. 
Uh, there's a little bit of that that perhaps is deserved, but much of it is not. Uh, they, they, they were not any more um, crazy or extreme than, than than a whole raft of other people in church history, uh, who everybody thinks are wonderful. That they actually uh, they were they were godly, serious people, who uh, who enjoyed life. I mean, one of, it's the Puritans who really, more than anyone, who give us this sense that life is to be enjoyed, that the the, the good things of this world, food and sex and um, home life, these are things not to be, these are not secondary or marginal to the spiritual life, but actually central to the spiritual life. And above all, they're, they're serious about joy. They want to enjoy God. And that's true in their preaching and it's true in their praying. They're constantly um presenting god in all his glory that his people might enjoy him hmm. one of the things i thought was really helpful uh, as a resource is as you mentioned before that there are a lot of people that influence our prayers and it's the people that are in our closest circles but this widens that uh, scope a little bit it widens that aperture a little bit to see uh, different people but also uh, these are prayers that have withstood the test of time there is a timelessness to these prayers as well Yes, I think that's a good point because, uh, in one sense, they 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 come from a very particular moment in history. The Puritans, you know, the seventeenth century, uh, from it was a turbulent time. In uh, it's the Puritans were largely English, uh, many were Scottish as well. But but both England and Scotland, um, uh, it was a turbulent time. This is the English Civil War, uh, the Covenanters in the Scot in Scotland, and and the Puritans faced persecution often through, through much of the early part of the 17th century and then again in the later half of the 17th century uh, there are persecuted people so that's the context in which these prayers are being written um they're written often written out of persecution these were people who would who, who would face trouble and trial and uh, their prayers reflect that um and perhaps so, so in one sense they're very historically rooted but perhaps because of that, even, as you say, they've stood the test of time. People have loved the the writings of the Puritans over the centuries because there's a depth to them, and perhaps that's a depth born out of suffering. Hmm. And you mentioned in your own personal experience that they were a comfort to you in a time where you didn't feel like you knew what to say or what to pray or how to articulate your thoughts to God. These were kind of a guide to you. I think that there's many individuals that are listening even right now that maybe struggle in that same way. They're they're struggling to find out how to talk to God. You can learn from the example of others. That's what the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, right? We want to learn. You obviously have a closer intimacy with the Father, so teach us how to pray. Yes, and of course, what he, when, when they say teach us how to pray, he doesn't give them a a little discourse on prayer, a little sort of um, seminar on prayer, he gives them a prayer. He says, okay, pray like this, use these words. And I don't think we're meant to be constrained by the Lord's Prayer. Uh, in, in many ways, I think it's kind of for us to kind of um, uh, go off on, uh, you know, to, to use the framework, but then to fill it out with our own specific needs. But still, it's there as a kind of framework, as a beginning, and a great fallback in the sense that, you know, when you're stuck, when you don't know what to say, you can pray the Lord's Prayer. And I think it's the same with using other prayers, that they, um, in some ways, they're a springboard for our own prayers. They they teach us to pray. They add uh, new phrases and themes and ideas to our prayers. 
but if you're stuck, then you can just read them out, and that will that will bless your heart, and it will be a true prayer to God. Mm. Like I said, I, I I love to listen to people pray. It really gives a little window into their soul, and reading these prayers of the Puritans does the same. But it also helps you understand this richness of their connection with Christ. It really pulls you in into almost kind of envying that relationship and wanting that for yourself. Yes, I mean, some of the things that are particularly strong in, in a Puritan spirituality was this, the centrality of Christ and seeing Christ in his glory as our prophet, priest, and king. That theme is there again and again. Uh, as I've said already, enjoying and delighting in God is a big theme. Another big theme is the providence of God. They had, yeah, And again, this is born out of suffering. They had a strong sense that God was in control. And that even when things were not going their way, they were always going his way. And that uh, part of part of what it means to relate to him in prayer is to uh, just submit to his will and to trust his will and to, and to kind of regain that trust through prayer that uh, God is in control and he's using all things for our good and for his glory. One of the things that I often note when doing these interviews is that the author of the books is the one who benefits the most because they put the most thought and time and spent the most time with their book. And since this isn't your writing, you're, you're relying on the writing of others, it still must have had a tremendous impact in you in the process of putting it together. Yes, yes. And I mean, perhaps the best way to illustrate that would be I um it's a process, you know, it, in the end, you've got to put words on a page, you know, and so I had, uh, I just trawling through prayers and sermons, a lot of them are sermons that I've turned into prayers. And I had a short list of 300, that I had to get down to 80. And then even that 80 were all too long, I had to make most of them a bit shorter, I had to update the language. It, anyway, basically, it's a kind of in the end, it starts to feel like a laborious process and you'll be glad when it's over but then i came to do my last edit this is the sort of final go through and by this point i'm familiar with them all and i you know i've read them all several times just before i send it off to the publishers and i, I literally about on five different occasions as i was doing my final edit i found myself in tears so these were prayers that i'd read already worked on them read them again, read them again, and yet still I found that they had the power to move me um, as they just just because of the way they presented Christ and particularly the way they present Christ as the answer to our needs and our desires. Mm. For any of our listeners who are wondering, how do you use a resource like this? Um, there's obviously a lot of ways they could do it. Maybe they're reading their personal devotions or reading scripture this could be a resource to help them in the process of praying afterwards. Uh, it could be a daily prayer. It could be a resource that they go to. But to get the most out of this book, what do you suggest for our listeners and your readers? I think there are a number of ways. I, I'd encourage people to read one a day. Um, and uh, you might you might do that as part of your devotions, or there just might be another time of the day, perhaps just before you go to bed and you put the light out. Read Read one a day. I, I, if you can, uh, and it's not too weird, uh, you know, you're not on the uh, bus on the way to work, I'd read it aloud aloud, uh, just to enjoy the language uh, the, of, of these prayers, which is beautiful language. Um, and then once, you know, once you've read it, all, each prayer all the way through, you'll probably by that point, you might have some favourites that you'll go back to. Uh, but also then you can just use the headings, the chapter headings, when you're anxious or when uh, at a mealtime or when you want to give uh 
pray for the Holy for the work of the Holy Spirit. You can kind of go and pick one out, sort of pick a prayer to match your need. Mm. But the other thing I think you could do is use them corporately, read them out. If you're leading uh, uh, worship in your local congregation, in, in fact, somebody did this in our church uh, just last week. They just began by reading part of one of these prayers out as a way of just calling us to worship God. Uh, there are prayers of confession that you might want to use during that period in, in, the, in the life of your church or in your home group. You might want to read one every now and then, if it's, particularly if it fits what you're talking about. And you might not want to read a whole one. You might just pick a few lines. People often sort of struggle to follow something that goes uh, is a bit long. But if you just pick some a little extract, I think they they really many of them lend themselves to the use in corporate worship. Mm. So so that's another way I think that they can be used. I think the component of of reading it out loud that's such a lost component to value. There's so much value to reading prayers out loud or reading anything out loud, just the retention is so much better. But with that being said, could I ask you to maybe pray one of these prayers over yes, our listeners? Yes, and, uh, let me do that. Uh, I need my glasses because I'm getting an old man these days. Uh, this is a prayer by uh, George Swinnock, uh, who was um, well, Puritan from the 17th century. Let, let me read. It's, I, I, I've given it the title, All Good Things. You, O oh God, are all good things and every good thing. You are self-sufficient, alone sufficient, and all-sufficient. Nothing is wanting in you, either for my soul's protection from all evil, or for its perfection with all good. When I am ambitious, you are a crown of glory and a royal diadem. When I am covetous, you are unsearchable riches, yes, durable riches and righteousness. When I am filled with desire, you are rivers of pleasures and fullness of joy. When I am hungry, you are a banquet of aged wine and the best of meats. When I am weary, you are rest, a shelter from the heat and a shadow from the storm. When I am weak, you are the Lord Jehovah, in whom is everlasting strength. When I am in doubt, you are marvellous in counsel. When I am in darkness, you are the sun of righteousness and eternal light. When I am sick, you are the God of my health. When I am sorrowful, you are the God of all comforts. When I am in distress, your name is a strong tower in which I may run and find safety. When I am dying, you are the fountain and Lord of life. You are a universal medicine against all sorts of miseries. Whatever my calamity is, you can remove it. Whatever my necessity, you can relieve it. You are silver, gold, honour, delight, food, raiment, house, land, peace, wisdom, power, beauty, father, mother, wife, husband, mercy, love, grace, glory, and infinitely more than all of these. Amen. Mm. Amen. We've been talking with Tim Chester. His book is called Into His Presence. It's a collection of prayers with the Puritans. A great resource, and as Sinclair Ferguson put it, a treasure trove. Uh, So if you want to find out more information about the book, give us a call, 508-362-7070, or head over to our website at songtime.com. Tim, it is always a privilege to have you with us uh, to minister to our audience. Thank you so much for this book and the, the time that you put into it and the, the, the resource that it is to the church. Uh, thank you. A pleasure to talk to you again.